You are listening to CMM, Children Matter Most, on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Obesity, nature or nurture? Shelley Winters once said, I am not overweight, I'm just nine inches too short. That's genetic. This month's Archives of Pediatrics and Adolescent Medicine reports 40% of three-month-old children watch television or video for an average of 45 minutes a day, and that parents actually think it's good for their kids. That's nurture. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Michael Helmrath. Dr. Helmrath is an assistant professor of surgery and pediatrics at the Baylor College of Medicine and an attending surgeon at Texas Children's Hospital. Today we will be discussing obesity, what's new in our understanding of the causes of obesity. Hi, Dr. Helmrath. Thank you for joining us today at the Clinician's Roundtable. Henry David Thoreau asked, where are we and whither we are tending? Tell us, where are we today and what can we predict for the future? Well, uh, where we are today is, I believe, in the middle of an epidemic, which has been fairly well characterized in that we have an overwhelmingly increasing number of very obese children who are getting more obese and are developing a lot of comorbidities associated with the weight problem. Where we're going is a big issue for us as a society because we're going to need to take care of these patients as they become adults and are going to need ongoing care into the future. And that I think that the future is uh, definitely something that we need to be concerned about. Why do we store all this fat? I think that's, that's a very good question. There are a lot of people that have different hypotheses. Mine is that it, it's a survival mechanism in that as mankind has developed, it's been important to store energy fuels and for times when energy is not prevalent. And that, in fact, patients who are capable of becoming very obese are genetically superior in that they have a super capacity of storing energy for need maybe in the future. It's just our society now doesn't need that uh, mechanism as much as it did in the past. When does it get to be a problem? Does it matter what part of the body stores the fat? Absolutely. Uh, Obviously, if your body is able to store fat uh, in the typical fat stores, uh, lots of times patients remain relatively very healthy. It's those individuals that when the fat stores overflow from the the obesity or fat tissue into uh, skeletal structures like muscle, liver, and the heart that we start seeing different comorbidities such as hypertension, sleep apnea, and diabetes. In your work, have you found any clues as to why we process the fat differently, or what are you currently working on? I mean, I think that's a big thing for us to look into. What you, I think, allude to is the fact that we certainly see patients who are quite obese and yet are very healthy by our measures that we have to look for those comorbidities. I'm interested in the child that actually develops the comorbidities and really hasn't put on as much obesity as maybe another patient. And why are they genetically predisposed? So we've been looking very closely at biomarkers and genetic panels to try to see if we can predict why these patients are developing these comorbidities where others who are equally or more obese are not. And those studies are initially begun, but certainly uh, I wouldn't say that we know the answers yet. I understand that before the age of three, that parental obesity is a stronger predictor of obesity in adults than the actually the child's weight status. Is that still thought to be true? 
I think it's, it's very true, as you allude to, genetics predisposes to a lot of the obesity we see uh, in our clinics, and that it's very common that most of our patients have very obese parents. We also know that usually by the ages of three, four, and five, these children are obese, and they carry that obesity into their adolescence. Thereby, in saying in another way, they're not becoming fat as adolescents, they're becoming fat as toddlers and presenting now as adolescents. Is there anything besides looking at the parents that can predict who will go on and become fat? I'm thinking of markers in cord blood or other predictive factors that one can therefore intercede in early infancy to try and avoid the problems of later life. We certainly don't have those markers yet. And and in fact, the natural history of obesity is just now really being well studied, meaning we aren't sure who and when everyone gets obese. And there hasn't been a lot of recent good studies to answer those questions to characterize those groups of patients. And until those studies are out, we really can't then go back and ask the more pertinent question as to how do we screen the obese ones that will become ill and sick from comorbidities and the ones that will not. So there's a lot of work left ahead. Where is your research taking you at this time? Well, I think the biggest thing I'm excited about our research is that we're characterizing adolescent children who are obese that are undergoing a operation to help their weight loss. And we are doing this in conjunction with the NIH to study at these cohort of patients in multi-centers to adult patients who are undergoing the same surgery who were known to be obese as adolescents. And that will answer important questions as to the timing of bariatric surgery for our obese adolescents and knowing whether there's a benefit to operating uh, during adolescence or is it better to wait until they're actually adults. That's the, the study we're doing right now, but we realize it's very important to characterize the natural history of just being obese as a child and an adolescent. And we need to compare not our patients only to adult patients undergoing bariatric surgery, but to their cohort of patients that are not receiving the medical care of bariatric surgery to know the natural history. And, and we haven't started that study, but we feel very strongly that it needs to be done here in the next couple of years, and we're putting a lot of energy into making that happen. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me is Dr. Michael Helmrath. Dr. Helmrath is an assistant professor of surgery and pediatrics at the Baylor College of Medicine and an attending surgeon at Texas Children's Hospital. We are discussing what we've recently learned about the causes of obesity. You mentioned preparing for bariatric surgery. It it sounds like you're thinking this may be the way to go for many obese children. I'm not sure I would state it that way. I would say that the thing to know is the only durable long-term treatment for patients with comorbidities that are life-threatening due to obesity today is bariatric surgery. And if you look at the profile of bariatric surgery and its response, and you would replace that with a medicine, this country would be screaming for all these children to be treated. And to deny them the therapy that can treat their comorbidities when no other medical therapy exists today, I think would be incorrect. But it needs to be studied very closely. My hope is always that we identify patterns and mechanisms that would respond to non-operative therapy from studying why surgery works in these patients. So in the future, we wouldn't need to do operations on these patients. 
And ideally, we would identify the patients early on that would benefit from medical therapy and treat them well before adolescence and prevent any of these comorbidities from happening. So in essence, what my hope is to put surgery out of business. But unless we study the one thing that works, I don't think we'll learn how to medically manage these children. So we kind of have to go out of the box and look for new treatment modalities because currently what we have that's not surgical does not work. With what we know about hormones and neurotransmitters, growth hormone, leptin, ghrelin, neuropeptide Y, and melanocortin, is it true that just none of these markers are very helpful in predicting the future? Well, what these markers are telling us is that there's a feedback mechanism from your stomach back to your brain to control satiety. We still have a lot to learn about satiety mechanisms. I truly believe that once we learn about the mechanisms of how satiety is controlled, Uh, in our bodies, we will identify pharmacological means to help control this. And I think when you study the changes of those hormones, we'll identify why the bariatric surgery works and what's up and downstream that regulates those uh, hormones, which may actually be therapeutic targets. Would that go along with trying to identify what controls basal metabolic rates or thermogenesis? Exactly. And ghrelin, certainly all those hormones you talked about, leptin, all affect your basal metabolic rate. But they all work in cohort, and none of this is going to be easy. This is a complex system. And so until we start to define the mechanisms and the pathways and how they interact, we really can't come up with good targeting uh, strategies to try to treat these patients. There are a number of genetic syndromes associated with obesity, such as Prader-Willi syndrome. Have these genetic disorders given us any clues as to where to direct research? For example, I think Prader-Willi syndrome has been very helpful to us in that, you know, these patients have an uncontrolled level of ghrelin, and that was a very good clue as to how ghrelin drives satiety. It is true, I think, that when you look at patients that have a congenital abnormality is how we've found medically a lot of ways these pathways work. They're they're good insight. When they go wrong, we can figure out um, a lot of the ways the mechanisms should work and why they're not working in those patients. So... Certainly, those patients need to be very closely studied. You mentioned a stomach-mind connection. In preparing to talk with you, I noticed that seven out of the 11 genetic syndromes associated with obesity also have mental retardation as part of the syndrome. Do you see anything in that? It's certainly neural. There is no question in that we do most of the syndromes that I have seen of patients from, they do have cognitive deficits. It is true that every hormone that is present in your GI system is also present in your brain. We've learned that uh, through the last, you know, several decades. And so I don't, I think that the mechanisms in the stomach that are occurring are similarly occurring in the brain. And when they don't function well, obviously there are GI symptoms and there's cognitive. Are there any breakthroughs that you can talk about or on the horizon that you're hopeful? Um, With respect to? Prevention, and or treatment of obesity in children? None that I can speak about as as actually being shown to be a benefit. I certainly think that we mentioned with the patients who are Prader-Willi patients, those patients historically do very poorly with gastric bypass because as we talked about, gastric bypass is a mechanism that controls satiety. These patients have a completely inability to, to lack that drive, and they will eat through the bariatric surgery. So they... They are a really good patient population to do a preliminary study on anti-ghrelin effects. And those studies are undergoing, but I don't know where they are now, and that, that research has not been published. But 
I'm looking forward to it. We're coming close to the end of our session. Do you have a take-home message for pediatricians who are faced with obese children on a rather daily basis? I think the take-home message is that um, I think it's important that these patients be evaluated from a comorbidity standpoint, and that I think we've missed a lot of comorbidities in these patients. And the ones with comorbidities need to seek further uh, treatment, especially the ones that are having uh, sleep apnea, hypertension, and diabetes. And they may actually be good candidates for gastric bypass surgery in centers that are studying, is studying it like ours, uh, the long-term effects. I want to thank Dr. Michael Helmrath, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing what we've learned about the causes of obesity. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you have been listening to CMM at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you a good day and good health.